Side Hustle Show 106, stand out, build your unique authority, and get paid. Welcome to the Side Hustle Show, where aspiring part-time entrepreneurs learn how to turn their side hustle dreams into reality. Because your 9 to 5 may make you a living, but your 5 to 9 makes you alive. And now, your host, Nick Loper. What's happening, everybody? Nick Loper here. Welcome to the Side Hustle Show, where it's all about ideas, action, and results. This is episode 106, Build Your Unique Authority and Get Paid. You're going to hear how to generate profitable, authoritative ideas, how to spread those ideas in a non-spammy way, and ultimately, how to turn that newfound authority into cash money. My guest is Dory Clark, who writes for Harvard Business Review, Forbes, Entrepreneur Magazine, and the World Economic Forum blog. Her latest book is called Stand Out, How to Find Your Breakthrough Idea and Build a Following Around It. It's the perfect topic for Side Hustle Nation. I know we've covered building authority sites in the past. In fact, you could look at the entire Side Hustle Nation experiment as me trying to build uh, some authority around the topic of side hustling. So I have to thank John Corcoran for the introduction over uh, to Dory. And uh, all my notes and highlights, along with Dory's top tips from this call, are available to you in a free downloadable PDF at SideHustleNation.com slash 106 or through the link in the episode description of your podcast player app. News and updates before we get into it. Thank you so much for taking the time to uh, nominate the uh, the side hustle show for the for the podcast awards and for your vote in uh, in the podcast awards I'm sad to report that uh, that I didn't win but I will send my congratulations over to uh, all the other nominees and the team uh, over at Freak uh, at Freakonomics who who took home the best business uh, best business podcast prize I was really surprised I kind of expected. Uh, Pat to win over at Smart Passive Income, but it was Freakonomics who took home the took home the trophy. Uh, so so good work to those guys. Thank you so much for for your nominations and votes. And with that, let's get Dory on the line. Hey Dory, welcome to the Side Hustle Show. Nick, thanks for having me. You bet, you bet. So the new book is called Stand Out: How to Find Your Breakthrough Idea and Build a Following. Around it. Now, that's something that Side Hustle Nation can definitely relate to. A lot of people interested in building a personal brand, building a business around themselves, not having to rely on somebody else for a paycheck, and you know, building authority type websites. Um, and I think the first section of this in this book is on um, you know finding that breakthrough idea, that that idea generation stage where so many people get stuck. If I could I could make a million dollars if only I had my my one million million dollar idea. What do you think about uh, any tips for people to find that breakthrough idea? Yeah, absolutely, Nick. And I I think that. It is so important for for folks who are you know working on their side gigs, their side hustle, to uh, you know to start diving into this because I, I I certainly learned in my own experience you know getting started as a consultant that you you will always get paid commodity wages until you find a way to distinguish yourself in the marketplace. I mean, you know, if you're if you're charging ten bucks an hour for website design, sure, you know, you can always get someone to pay you. But you know, that's that's not livable. That's not sustainable. That's not what we're looking for. You want people to be able to to pay you to choose to pay you um, premium rates, and you have to find a way to be able to justify that in the marketplace. And so, developing a strong personal brand, 
and really getting known for something is uh, is one of the fastest ways to do it. So in my new book, Stand Out, I actually lay out a number of ways that people can begin to uh, to really create that kind of presence for themselves. Okay. One of my one of my favorite strategies, actually, is uh, is the niche strategy, and you know that that basically, I think it's it's pretty attainable for for a lot of folks. It's something that that you're doing right now, um, which is that. You know, a lot of times, and, I, and I've certainly fallen prey to this as well, uh, Renaissance people who have a lot of interests don't want to be pinned down. Uh-huh. And so, you know, we, we say, oh, well, I'm a generalist. I'll work with anyone. I'll do, I'll do anything. And you, you never really want to specify exactly because you feel like it might be closing off opportunities. But the truth is you actually create more opportunities for yourself later on if you're willing to dive into a niche early on and then expand strategically from there. I mean, if, if you had started out and said, yeah, I'm going to create a business podcast and we're going to talk about business. <laughs> I mean, you know, like who's going to listen to that? There's, there's a million business podcasts. There's not a clear reason. But if you are creating, uh, you know, Side Hustle Nation as a podcast, that is incredibly specific and it allows you to develop the kind of deep expertise so that you are recognized, you're sought out, and then in that moment, um, when when you want to branch out, if you decide that you want to, um, you know, start talking about other aspects of entrepreneurship or solopreneurship or you know whatever, um, you can move into them because you've established that authority. Um, there's a phenomenon in psychology known as the halo effect, which basically says that if you become recognized as an expert in one field, it becomes enormously easier to be recognized as one in in another field because people look look at you they see you've been successful at one thing and they say oh he must be great in general and so making that pivot later on is a lot easier if you build up renown in a specific instance to begin with it's a very this very generous uh, assumption <laughs> <laughs> um no 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 that's that's actually i really love the line hey you're gonna get paid commodity wages until you distinguish yourself distinguish yourself in uh, in the market because you see Right, like you mean, what's it? You can go to Fiverr and get graphic design work done for five dollars, but yet there are people, you know, making a, a great living in San Francisco, in London, in New York, in very high cost of living areas, doing graphic design, and they're getting paid a lot more than than five dollars to do it. So they've distinguished themselves as as a leader or somebody worth paying for in that market. What what qualifies as a breakthrough idea? Like if all of these ideas are are jumbling around in my head like how do i know which one is the is the breakthrough one yeah so i i would define a breakthrough idea as something that that really kind of changes the dialogue it changes the public dialogue and and it changes the dialogue about you and how you're perceived you know it, it matters on on both fronts and so, you know, just to take one example uh, from my book, uh, sorry, my new book, Stand Out, um, I, I thought this was, this was so amazing. You know, I'm, I'm not um, really like into cooking that much, um, but I, uh, so I didn't know that much about Rachel Ray. I mean, I, I knew who she was, but, but that was about it. Okay. Um, but I was, a couple years ago, I was invited to give a guest lecture at Harvard Business School and uh, about my first book, Reinventing You. And the professor, this guy named Boris Groisberg, he said, oh, you know, the stuff that you're doing about personal brand, that's so interesting. Um, Would you like to come in and speak? I think I might have you come in on the same day that we're doing 
this case that I wrote about Rachel Ray. And I'm like, really? You know what? Like, what's her story? I don't even know about Rachel Ray. And it turned out that um, that Rachel Ray, I mean, she has this this amazing story of how uh, she, you know, she started out literally uh, doing doing 30 minute food demonstrations at a local price chopper grocery store. That was, you know, she never went to culinary school or anything like that. She was just this local girl. Okay. And she, uh, she and she started doing these uh, these price chopper uh, demos literally because the chefs in her town wouldn't accept the low wages that Price Chopper paid. And so they're like, um, can you do it, Rachel? And so she started to do it. And she built up a following. She, she ended up getting like a, like a little local TV show. She finally was able to, uh, to publish a cookbook, not with a major publisher, but literally with a one-woman publishing house okay. in her area. And, you know, amazingly, this cookbook gets given to a producer at the Today Show as a gift. And there is, this is, it sounds like a TV show, there's a snowstorm in New York City. Um, all these guests who are scheduled uh, on the Today Show cancel. And so the producer says, hmm, what about this Rachel Ray woman? So she calls her up. Rachel Ray drives nine hours in a snowstorm <laughs> and she gets to the Today Show. She nails it. And the next day she is offered uh, a contract with a food network. So, I mean, it's like a Cinderella story, but the most important part for me here is, you know, Rachel Ray, you would think, and a lot of people criticize her. They say, she's not doing anything different. My wife cooks better than Rachel Ray. My mom cooks better than Rachel Ray. Why is she the one on TV? And the breakthrough here though, is that when the food network originally was getting started, the people who were the stars were these total celebrity chefs. They were James Beard award winners. They were people who, you know, ran the country's most famous, most expensive restaurants. They, you know, they had won all these awards and had Michelin stars. And in that context, what Rachel Ray did, making regular food accessible to regular people, even if in the wider world that doesn't seem like a big deal because your mom does it, uh -huh. in the world of the Food Network, that was a huge deal. And she was able to break through because she offered something very different in that context with a, you know, a nice, uh, you know, friendly personality. And so I think the real question of breakthrough, sometimes people think, oh, my gosh, I can't have a breakthrough idea. I'm not Einstein. I'm not a genius. The point isn't that you have to come up with some genius level idea. It can become a breakthrough depending on the context. If everybody is doing things one way. If you can introduce a new way of doing it, that's a breakthrough. Okay, I'm trying to think back, like of how the, how this could apply to uh, to side hustlers, and and I was actually just on a call earlier this uh, this morning with uh, Steph Halligan, who runs a site called EmpoweredDollar.com, and we'll probably hear from her on a on an upcoming episode. But you know what it was is like a personal finance blog, or that's how it started. And then yeah. she started doing these like really, really well done cartoons. Like she's a very talented artist and started doing these like cartoons about personal finance. And immediately things started to take off because it's like this is something everyone else is there like writing essays on, you know, the virtues of compound interest and blah, blah, blah. And she's putting it into cartoon form and like, hey, this is something that's worth sharing. And all of a sudden that was kind of her way uh, of standing out. Um 
about that. I mean, I don't know if that was if that qualifies as a breakthrough idea, but I think it was a breakthrough idea for her, or it was a breakthrough um, kind of tactic for her to kind of stand out from the clutter of all the other you know personal finance sites out there. Yeah, I think that's a fantastic example, Nick, and and it's right on. I mean, it's really about how do you bring your unique spin to the world? Um, because you know, if if you're just another graphic designer, if you're just another uh, you know marketing consultant. There, there's nothing there for people. There's no reason for them to choose you. You have to find a way to bring your special sauce to the forefront. And oftentimes that comes from, it literally just arises from your personality or it arises from your training and your experiences. If you happen to be uh, a personal finance person, I mean, that's a crowded field. But if you take personal finance plus cartoons, that's a lot rarer. You can really own that space. I mean, in my new book, Stand Out, I, I give an example, which you know a lot of uh, a lot of your listeners in the tech world may be familiar with. Uh, there was a best-selling book a couple of years ago called The Lean Startup, mm-hmm. and it's it's really become ubiquitous uh, in the tech community. I mean, it's become a touchstone. People refer to it and its methodology. Um, but originally, I mean, you might actually you might actually think, hmm, you know how how is he getting this? Because the author Eric Reese, what he literally did in this book is he took lean manufacturing, which is a process that was developed and perfected by Toyota. So, I mean, the ultimate old line industrial, uh, you know, machinery kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. The lean manufacturing is about how do you improve industrial processes on the factory line? You'd think that would have nothing to do with entrepreneurship, but he applied those concepts in an interesting and new way to the tech world, to the startup world. And it was in that fusing that he was able to come up with a very different perspective about the right way for for tech startups to uh, to work, and it, it generated new insights. Uh, it's very hard to come up with breakthrough ideas if you are so steeped in one field or one discipline, if that's the only thing you've ever been doing, because that's the only mindset you'll have. But if you're able to bring two or more things together based on your own interests or your own experiences all of a sudden you're going to see things in a different way and that enables breakthroughs that other people can't have. Okay. No, that makes a lot of sense. So, cause the, the other guy, the guy at Wellington who we've embarked on this public, uh, you know, year long coaching endeavor with said, Hey, I want to be the, the engineer's travel hacker, right? There's a lot of stuff that's out there, you know, travel hacking, very kind of a crowded niche as well. But he's like, look, I'm going to bring a unique engineering perspective to it. I was like, okay, maybe there's something there. So combining those two like uh, concentric circles is, you know, that uh, Venn diagram where those two circles intersect. Any any tools, exercises kind of like to brainstorm in this this idea generation phase, what could I turn into a side hustle? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think a, a really good starting point would be um, just thinking and and I, I actually I'll this is uh, the point that I'll that I'll mention this because uh, in standout at the end of every section in the book I actually have a series of questions that people can ask themselves and I have combined that into a document um, it is called 139 questions you can ask yourself to create your breakthrough idea okay, okay. And, uh, so it's 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 a lot it, you know it's it's like a you know a sort of workbook um, it actually comes out to 42 pages all together um, with these questions and, you know, space for you to write your ideas down. Um, but people, uh, people can get that for free on my website by signing up for my email list. Um, so if people want to visit doryclark.com and just sign up, uh, they can, uh, they can get a free download of that doc 
document, which which might be helpful in terms of asking specific questions. Um, Let's hear a couple of them. Yeah. So one uh, one question that I suggest that people ask themselves is what are experiences that you've had that most other people in your field have not? So, you know, for instance, it could be, okay, you're an accountant and, you know, so great. You have a bachelor's degree in finance. Well, you know, lots of people in your field have that, but maybe you also were in the Peace Corps or maybe you grew up, um, you know, in a small rural town or, you know, maybe you also are a sports fanatic and are really knowledgeable about uh, sports statistics or, you know, something, whatever it is, there's probably going to be a few things about you that are uh, deviating from the norm of your profession. And I think a lot of times, you know, historically, we have been taught to tamp those things down. We've been taught, oh, well, that's not relevant. So don't talk about those things or don't emphasize those things. Just focus on, you know, what makes a good accountant. But the truth is that a lot of your passion and your inspiration and sometimes your competitive advantage can come from those pieces that are different than the norm in the the world that you're operating in. Okay, okay. Um, I like it. Any other any other good questions? Yeah. So you know, I would say that uh, another question, Nick, that that people can ask themselves is what what is the big idea. What is, you know? What is the most important question that uh, that's facing my industry, or you know, whatever you know, my cause, whatever issue you're looking at? And what I mean by that is that the problem with most uh, attempts at innovation is that they they aim too low. You know, it's incremental innovation. It's people looking at it and saying, "Oh, you know, the next leap in technology." is a smartphone that's half an inch wider, you know, and it's like, no, that's not the next leap in technology. That would be a smartphone that's half an inch wider. Um, we want, if we really want to change the game, we need to focus on what's important. And I, I think a lot of people shy away from that because, uh, you know, it, it may seem speculative, it may seem hard, but it's in the areas where we have the, the biggest runway to make a difference that you actually can uh, can really get some significant traction. So, just by way of example, you know, one um, one person that I profile in the book is uh, named Rita McGrath, who is a professor at uh, Columbia Business School, and she wrote a book which you know turned out to be a, an extremely popular and critically lauded book called "The End of Competitive Advantage." And you know, I think a lot of people recognize and a lot of people talk about the fact that, oh, yeah, change is accelerating now. Everything's moving faster, right? Like, you know, that's sort of a common thing that everybody talks about. Mm -hmm. But what nobody talks about is what do you do as a result of that? (laughs) Like, nobody knows. Like, we okay, great. You know, so BlackBerry, you know, is like the most, you know, the most ubiquitous thing in the world in 2007. And then by 2009, nobody has them anymore. Um, We all know that. What we don't know is, is how to proceed. Um, so, you know, technology is picking up, uh, you know, climate change seems to be an increasing deal. We know globalization is big. We know that mobile is rising. Everybody knows these things, but no one is offering real concrete suggestions. And so what Rita McGrath did in her book, which I think is so significant, is she actually set about saying, all right, if in fact it's true, as, as we all think we know that these things are happening, what do you do? 
And because she was willing to stick her neck out and offer solutions, I mean, in her case, you know, she talks about corporate strategy. So if you are, you know, a BlackBerry or a company that's worried it's going to be a BlackBerry, like one concrete suggestion, she says, is instead of doing annual budgeting, which, you know, everybody has done from time in memoriam, um, she says that's actually too slow now. We need to shift and do quarterly budgeting because you need to have the ability as a company to pivot faster if change is indeed coming uh, more quickly. And so things like that. So for, for your side hustlers, I would say, you know, that don't shy away from the biggest problems. L- stare right at the biggest problems and say, okay, um, what are the things everyone's talking about? And then what's next? What should we be doing about it? Um, Peter Diamandis uh, and Stephen Kotler, who came out with a book earlier this year uh, called Bold, which I, I think is really good and really interesting. They have a saying that the fastest way to become a billionaire is to help a billion people. And uh, I, I think that's that's really true. We can't be afraid to think big. Yeah, absolutely. That's one of my all-time favorite TED Talks is um – this talk on abundance, why, you know, why abundance is our future and stuff. There's like, you know, going through all of these horrible, horrible news stories. You're like, look, this was the last six months, but it could have been, you know, the last six year, you know, could have been the last six days. doesn't matter. Like, but here's, here's, you know, and then he lays out his case on like why the future is getting better every day. And like, okay, this is, he makes, he makes a good case. Definitely we'll link to it in the show notes. That's good stuff. Okay. So aiming, aiming big, finding, finding a trend that you can, um, that you can offer your services into, I think is something uh, along those lines, whether that's self-publishing that we've talked about, whether that's you know, podcasting we talk about, um, all, all these different kind of industries or, or trends that we see in like, what, what are the problems facing these content creators, these, you know, these corporations, whatever it is, how can I, how can I combine my, my two circles of unique experience to, uh, to create something for them? Okay. The, the next section um, I want to get into is like the the idea of spreading this idea in a non spammy way, right? Like, because we've all had the Facebook friends who are like, "I'm I'm working on this, I'm working on this," and every update is you know about their about their thing. Um, so what's what's next after you've kind of defined your your idea, whether or not you think it's a breakthrough idea or not? What's what comes next? Yeah. So there's what I discovered in looking at these. Um, you know, I, I interviewed about fifty thought leaders for the book stand out so I could have a a pretty broad cross section of people in different industries to look at in terms of how they actually became recognized experts. And what I came to learn um, was that when it comes to spreading your ideas, it's really a three-step process. And uh, I think that for a lot of people, um, you know, we don't necessarily do all three and that that causes problems. If you if you do them progressively, uh, your ideas can spread a lot faster and a lot farther. Okay. And the way that I describe them, uh, and I'll explain this, uh, is you start with one to one idea transmission. Um, you then go to one to many, and then finally you end up at many to many. And so the starting place, one to one, is a is a, a step that I think a lot of people skip and should not, which is that. Um, you know, folks oftentimes come up with an idea and then they immediately share it with the world. They immediately say, oh, okay, great. I have this great idea. I'm going to, I'm going to blog about it. I'm going to speak about it. Let's get it out there. Let's test it. And then if it doesn't go viral, they get disappointed and they say, well, that was a failure. That didn't work. Let's give it up. And, you know, I mean, maybe that's the case. Maybe they should give it up. But what I would actually suggest is that they may have gone, gone to market, so to speak, prematurely. 
um, the first step is actually on a one-to-one level um, going to, you know, first assembling and then going to a trusted group of friends and advisors that you have in your life. I think that's something that's really uh, often overlooked. And, you know, these, these should be uh, colleagues, friends, people that can give you honest advice and be willing to tell you if your idea needs to be tweaked because your idea actually may, it may be a good idea, but it may not be quite ready for prime time. And sometimes a few small adjustments can actually make it that much better and that much more powerful. So they provide advice and guidance, and they also provide support and connections and things that you need in terms of propelling it to the next stage. The next stage, one to many, is probably the most visible part of marketing and building your following, which is where you know you get out there and you start making the world aware of your, your business or your idea. You blog, you do podcasts, you do interviews, you give speeches, you know, all, all those kinds of typical things where you are, you know, saying, hey, you know, who who resonates with this? And that's a great and you know an important phase. Um, but then finally, if you want your idea to last, if it, if it's gonna go from something that's that, uh, you know, it's just you talking about it to something that the world is talking about. The essential change that has to take place is it, it can't, it can't just be you talking about it. You've got to get people to believe in, in it and to buy into it enough that they become your evangelists, that they feel like your idea has something to offer them so that it's not just about you. I mean, if, if all lean in was about was Sheryl Sandberg selling books, you know, she would be the only one who cared. But instead, she made Lean In resonate as a message so that, that you know, thousands of women around the world, you know, tens or hundreds of thousands, um, would look at it and say, that's something that I believe in. I believe in women's empowerment. I want to lean in. And, you know, they start Lean In circles. And eventually, they're, they're her brand ambassadors. She doesn't have to be carrying the message anymore. Um, they're carrying the message. And that's the place that we want to reach um, with our ideas. No, definitely. If if your if your audience can spread your message for you, that's you're in a good place. Um, I'm I'm thinking of uh, an example from a previous episode with the software called CoSchedule, and so it started out where where Garrett, the the co-founder, you know, him and his partner were doing you know freelancing work, essentially, you know, software development, um, you know, content management, very much one to one, you know, just just me talking to my customer, right, and then over the course of doing that, they found kind of this common need that their customers had. And so they built this software as like an editorial calendar built into WordPress. And then mm. it became, you know, one to many, right? We can sell this to, we, you know, it's something we build once and we can sell it over and over again. And then they embedded a little like affiliate referral thing in everyone. And so people are using it on their websites and it says powered by CoSchedule or something like that. And so now it's kind of that virality that's built in as their audience is spreading, uh, spreading the message for you, following that three-step process, um, you know, and over the course of several years, too. So it's not something that necessarily happens overnight. Absolutely. It's, it's true. The, the, you know, anybody who's expecting overnight success with this will, will be disappointed. But, you know, it's, it's important to, to just kind of keep marching on and, and keeping the goal in mind of how to how to ensure that your idea resonates enough that, that other people want to make it their own. So that's a perfect example. In terms of like uh, a side hustler trying to build uh, an authority site around, around their personal brand or some service offering, any, is there an 80-20 rule? Like how, how it can fast track the success if I don't want to be hanging around for, for years in the, in the one-to-one section? 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, well, you know, one one thing that I actually just want to mention, which ties in with this, and, and also um, it applies to our previous conversation where we were talking about, you know, how do you actually find your breakthrough idea? How do you find the, the thing that you get known for? Uh, I wanted to mention something that I talk about in Standout, which is basically about the power of reviews. Um, I think this is something that is is really uh, underappreciated as a source of authority and expertise, but can be super powerful, especially for somebody who's doing this as a side hustle. Um, there's a guy that I profile in Standout uh, named Michael Waxenberg, and he was, and in fact still is, uh, an IT guy at a financial services company in New York. And uh, so now about 15 years ago, this is when the process first started, he and his wife wanted to buy a, uh, an apartment in New York. And you know, this is especially in New York, the real estate market is complicated, it's convoluted, everybody's you know constantly having bidding wars and stuff. So he realized that he wanted to make him, make sure that he was educated about the process before diving in. Okay. And so um, he, you know, like anyone, he figured, okay, I'll start by going to some open houses. Um, so we went to some open houses, and there was a, a website called Street Easy, which he discovered, and they had, you know, some message boards and reviews and things like that. And so a lot of the reviews were just, you know, kind of really sort of simple and cursory. People hadn't put a lot of effort into them, but Michael got into it. And so he started writing these incredibly detailed reviews on the Street Easy website of, um, of the kind of property that he and his wife were looking at, these you know, multi, um, multi-bedroom Upper West Side apartments. So he starts doing that. And then because he's, because he's a data guy, you know, he's an IT guy, he started feeling like, well, you know, these qualitative reviews are good, but wouldn't it be great if there were if there was like hard facts, if there was lots of numbers that we could share about the sale prices of apartments? So he started a strand on Street Easy, and you know essentially became the you know the sort of uh, manager and the driving force behind it um, about people reporting the sale prices of uh, of condos, and you know so he kept going, kept going, published more and more reviews, and he became so well known on the site for his expertise that people started writing to him and saying, Michael, will you represent us? We want you to be our realtor. Um, but the only problem was that he wasn't a realtor. This was, this was his hobby. This was his side thing. He was um, just a guy he, specializing in Upper West. I mean, that's very, very niche. Uh, it was neighbor- very <laughs> niche. Yeah, it was just a guy looking for an apartment. And so he, you know, at first he said, sure, I'll help you. I mean, I can't be your realtor, but you know, they, they give him like a, a box of wine or chocolates or something for helping him out. Um, but so he did that for a while. And then, you know, his repute began to grow so much that finally an actual realtor, someone who owned an agency contacted him and said, look, if you still don't have your real estate license, I'll sponsor you if you come to work for me. Um, so the guy uh, you know, paid for him to get his real estate license. And literally ever since, as a side gig, Michael has been working selling uh, real estate. And you know, he, has, he has no desire to be you know, a full-time pound-the-pavement realtor. Um, he does it on the side to make money. He makes good money because you know, things are expensive in New York. Right, you don't have to make and- many sales to, uh, to have a pretty decent <laughs> side hustle there. That's right. And, and he doesn't even have to look for clients. The clients come to him because of, uh, because of Street Easy and because of the referrals from the initial people from Street Easy. Um, so it's, it's the ultimate side hustle. And he did it literally because he built his expertise and publicly demonstrated his expertise through uh, getting very knowledgeable in a niche and writing reviews that showed that he knew what he was talking about. 
Wow, that's a that's a great example of building authority, not even having to build it on his own site, but just building it on on someone else's platform and and reaping the the rewards from that down the road. Any uh, that's a really good one. Any other examples that kind of like that on on monetizing this this expertise, this this monetizing my newfound standing outness? <laughs> yes, yes. Another one that uh, that's actually one of my favorite stories from my first book, Reinventing You. Uh, is about a woman uh, in in your neck of the woods, Nick, um, in, in the Bay Area. Okay. Her name is Patricia Fripp, and she is now and has been for you know several decades uh, a full time professional speaker, and you know makes makes good money giving talks. Um, but she didn't start as a professional speaker. She actually started as a hairdresser, <laughs> which uh, sounds like it might be a pretty unlikely beginning. But um, she was really smart, and she, she d- developed this clientele. She worked downtown, and she developed a clientele of um, fairly high-ranking business leaders at San Francisco's companies, you know, uh, Wells Fargo and Levi's and The Gap and things like that. Okay, okay. And so, you know, most hairdressers, uh, you know, they'll talk to you about the weather. They'll talk to you about your family. Patricia was very savvy, and she realized, you know what, if I have these, these smart businessmen – uh, and you know, to, to a certain extent, business women uh, who are my customers, I want to I want to make use of that. So she would have conversations with them, like, "So you're a vice president of marketing. So if you were marketing a hair salon, what would you suggest?" Okay, <laughs> and, uh, okay, getting some free consulting uh, while yeah. she's cutting hair. Okay, get free consulting, and you know, and she, she the conversations were so insightful um, that you know th- they realized something was different about her. They realized she was uh, she was very smart. And so it, it came out in these conversations that she was doing a bit of public speaking, um, but, but, you know, in a very different realm, uh, she had been hired to do like some product demonstrations for hair supplies. But so she had some experience on the stage and doing talks, um, but that was about it. But because she had built these relationships and had built up so much trust and personal authority, getting to know the, um, the you know, the business leaders that were her clients, they began to say to her, Patricia, why don't you come in and give a talk to my staff? Why don't you talk to them about relationship building or about sales or about, you know, whatever? And she said, sure. And I mean, of course, at first it was not for very much money at all, but she began to build this corporate speaking practice as a hairdresser. Hmm. And (laughs) she, she had, you know, as she was starting this, she'd actually just signed a lease, uh, renewing the lease for 10 years of her hair salon. And so she said, that she she used that 10 years. She made a goal for herself. And she said, you know what? Um, at the end of this 10 years, I'm going to become a professional speaker. And so for the first number of years, she, you know, she really didn't pocket any money from speaking. Any money that she earned, she would put into her business and put into um, the long-term goals. She, she paid for speaker training for herself. She paid for you know, making videos, you know, all the things that you need to really lay the groundwork. And at the end of these 10 years, she had earned an, enough money and had enough of a practice that she was able to replace her salary at the hair salon. So she shut it down and embarked on her new career. Wow. She turned her, well, she was a business owner already, but she turned her side hustle into, um, into a main hustle, <laughs> I guess. Yeah, yeah, exactly. She was, uh, she, was, she was pretty excited because she was really able to uh, I mean, she liked hairdressing, but she was really able to find a way to uh, t- to make her passion her business. Very, very cool stuff. So we've kind of covered 
you know, finding that breakthrough idea, some some ways to build uh, build an audience, build a following, build a uh, build a, a crowd around it, and then how to or a couple examples of how that that might be monetized, what that might look like in terms of uh, in terms of ringing the cash register and bringing in some dollars for you. And if people go to doryclark.com, we'll have a link in the show notes as well. Uh, you can grab that list of how many was it? 40, 40 something questions to ask? Oh, no, 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 Nick. It is 42 pages of 139 oh, questions. Oh, 139. My bad. My bad. I'm sorry. Yeah. It is like so many questions. It's crazy. Oh, it sounds, <laughs> I'm sure you're sure you'd find a, uh, some, some interesting answers as those come. That was, this is a, a very much a side note, but on one of our drives, um, my wife and I would drive back and forth to Seattle at Christmas. One of our trips, we bought one of these like, you know, thousand and one questions books. And that, yeah. that literally killed the whole car ride because we were like, oh, <laughs> you know, and it's always like, you know, it's kind of would you rather this or this, you know, so then it gets a debate going. So it's kind of fun. So if you have time to kill on a long car ride, check out that or check out Dory's list. I'm sure that's probably a little more productive. And <laughs> the book is available now. It's called Stand Out, available at Amazon, wherever fine books are sold. Dory, thank you so much. We'll uh, we'll wrap it up with your number one tip for Side Hustle Nation. Thank you so much, Nick. It's been great talking with you and with Side Hustle Nation. So my number one tip um, for uh, for folks who are listening, uh, and the thing that I, I wish that I knew when when I was first starting my business is, uh, is to, to really dive in and go nuclear on content creation. Um, if you are going to stand out, you have to find a way to make sure that people can find you, that people, uh, you know, particularly for, you know, for most of us, we are knowledge workers. Um, you know, it's, it's not like, uh, you know, most of us are making, you know, woodworkers that can make uh, cabinets or chairs or something that people can say, oh, I love that. That's great. If you are doing anything that is in the world of ideas, uh, it's really hard for people to know how good you are. And so creating content is the window through which they can see, oh, I like how this person thinks. This person's really knowledgeable. Um, they're attacking the problem in an interesting way. And my business, uh, it, was, it, it grew a lot slower than it should have because I wasn't uh, creating content. You know, up to that point, it, it really almost has to be you know, person-to-person, word-of-mouth referrals because that's, that's the only way that people will know that you're any good is if someone vouches for you. But you can go exponential with your side hustle if you are creating findable online content, whether it's blogs or podcasts or you know, smart use of social media sites um, because it gives people a way to see how you think and uh, for them to verify with their own eyes your expertise. Sounds good to me. It's worked for it's worked for Michael in New York. It works for it's worked for Patricia. It's worked for uh, for Harry, the rideshare guy. I think it's rideshareguy.com. I just saw a note on Facebook that he's quit his job to become the rideshare guy full time. So he was you know blogging about you know Uber and Lyft driving and stuff. And hey, apparently it's turned into a, a full time thing. Uh, so that's great. All about that content create creating a a body of content that people can find and resonate with around your your subject matter expertise. I like it. Dory, thanks so much. And we'll, uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks so much, Nick. Take care. Let's focus on what's, what's making you different. What's going to let you stand out. What's gonna, how, how are you going to follow Dory's three-step process of spreading your message and to really dive deep 
on the process of content creation. And I've never really heard it put that way before, but it, but it makes a ton of sense. Like you have to create content because otherwise it's really hard for the people you want to know you, you want to hire you to, uh, to know how good you are, how you think, or what kind of results you can get them. So you have to create content to, uh, to kind of put that out there to let them know. So anyways, I've, uh, like I said, I've compiled all the, uh, the notes and highlights along with Dory's top standing out tips into a free downloadable PDF over at sidehustlenation.com slash 106 or through the link in the episode description of your podcast player app. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time, let's go out there, make something happen, and I'll see you in the next edition of the Side Hustle Show. Hustle on. Thanks for listening to the Side Hustle Show at www.sidehustlenation.com. 